and three, and two, and one. Hi, everybody. Tim Anderson here, the appraiser's advocate, and we call this one, Tim, I'm just going to check the box. Sometimes, when it comes to highest and best use, just checking the box certainly looks easy. Sometimes, when it comes to highest and best use, you don't want to spend a lot of time. It's a house in a neighborhood. Hello. It can't be that difficult. What we're going to do in the next few minutes is go through USPAP Standard Rule 1-3, which is the market analysis and highest and best use standard rule. We're going to look at each of its components carefully, and we're going to ask some questions about them. Therefore, it will become clear what it really means, what USPAP is really looking for, and by extension, frankly, what Fannie Mae is really looking for when it comes to a highest and best use analysis. Now, for what it's worth, if you go to my website, theappraisersadvocate.com, to my products page, I have a template on highest and best use that may help you with this, but it will help you first to understand the contents of highest and best use before before you need to get into that template. Let me go to Standard Rule 1-3. In the 2020-2021 edition of USPAP, it starts on line 504, and it goes to line 516. In other words, it's a whole 12 lines. So it's not terribly complicated. It's obviously not very long. So let's take a look at it so we can learn how to make sense of it. Okay, here, here we go. Standard Rule 1-3 market analysis, and highest and best use. When necessary for credible assignment results in developing a market value opinion, an appraiser must. Now, there are two things the appraiser must do. We're going to go into both of them. The first one, A, is identify and analyze the effect on use and value of, and there are five subcomponents. So let's go through them. So when necessary for credible assignment results in developing a market value opinion, an appraiser must identify and analyze the effect on use and value of existing land use regulations, reasonably probable modifications of such land use regulations, economic supply and demand, the physical adaptability of the real estate, and market area trends. Then there's a comment. The comment says an appraiser must avoid making an unsupported assumption or premise about market area trends, effective age, and remaining life. Then there's B, and we're almost to the end. So B says an appraiser must develop an opinion of the highest and best use of the real estate. Then the comment says an appraiser must analyze the relevant legal physical and economic factors to the extent necessary to support the appraiser's highest and best use conclusions. That's it. That's the entire highest and best use requirement per use PAP. So now let's go back and break some of this down so that it begins to make sense. All right, going back to line 504. When necessary for credible assignment results in developing a market value opinion. Basically what that means is if you're not developing a market value opinion, don't get all excited about highest and best use. If, however, you are developing a market value opinion, and let's face it, how many times have we ever appraised a property to other than market value? It happens, sure. Insurable value, ad valorem tax value, stuff like that. that that's not a problem. It, it happens. It just doesn't happen very much. 
So, when necessary for credible assignment results in developing a market value opinion, an appraiser must identify and analyze. Ooh, there's that word analyze. Let's take a look at that. To analyze means to take something apart so we understand its components. Therefore, when we put whatever that is that we just took apart back together again, we understand how it works, not only as to its individual parts, but how, and even more importantly, why it works as a whole, why it works as a system. So USPAP says identify and analyze the effect on use and value of the first one, existing land use regulations. That's zoning. And you say, well, you know, Tim, the zoning's obvious. It's R1 or whatever it is. And you're right. The zoning typically is obvious, assuming there is a zoning. And occasionally there isn't. If uh, you live in Houston, you might be familiar with that. But the point is, this doesn't say identify the zoning. It doesn't say state the zoning. It says identify and analyze the effect on use and value of the existing land use regulations, which is the zoning, the land use plan, among other things. So basically what it's saying is don't just state the zoning. Don't just say the subject zoning is R1. Well, it's perfectly acceptable to say the zoning, the subject zoning is R1. What it means is the subject zoning is R1, and here's what that use permits. When we indicate what the highest and best use is, when we indicate what the zoning is, when we indicate that the present improvements meet the zoning, then we have done more than identify the effect of the zoning. We've analyzed the effect of the zoning and its use on value. So we say the subject zoning is R1, which permits use 1, use 2, use 3, use 4, use 5. The subject is use 1. Therefore, the subject complies with the zoning. Therefore, the subject is legal. Okay, that's what that one means. Then the second one is this: the uh, appraiser has to identify and analyze the effect on use and value of reasonably probable modifications of such land use regulations. Well, let's face it. For the typical residential appraisal, the land use probably isn't going to change, at least isn't going to change anytime soon. It's always been R1. It will always be R1 because the subject is a residential house and residential neighborhood surrounded by residential houses. Okay, so that's really not going to change. So, you're going to put in the report. The subject zoning is R1. It has been R1 since forever. The uh, zoning people indicate that the zoning is going to stay R1 forever. Therefore, not only is the subject a legal use of the site, it is going to continue as a legal use of the site because the land use, the zoning, etc. is not going to change. The third one says the appraiser has to identify and analyze the effect on use and value of economic supply and demand. Economic supply and demand is, okay, here's supply, not only the number of houses that are for sale, not only the number of houses that have sold recently, not only the number of houses that will probably come onto the market, all other things being equal, but it also includes how many new houses that may be built. Now, if there aren't going to be any new houses built in the neighborhood, because it's an older, well-established neighborhood, all the lots are sold, etc., 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 say so. That's perfectly acceptable. Say, there aren't going to be any new houses built in the neighborhood because there are no vacant lots to build them on. And then say something like, there is absolutely no evidence in the current market that buyers are buying existing properties, raising them to get at the now vacant land, and then improving the land to its highest and best use. 
That's just not happening currently. There's demand for houses. There isn't demand for vacant land. The houses haven't depreciated far enough or market demand is not high enough such that people are buying houses, tearing them down, and starting all over again. Now, demand has a classic definition. Demand is the number of people who want thing A and can afford to purchase thing A. So what we're looking at is if you're in a $500,000 neighborhood, there's no demand from people who can afford a $200,000 house. You're looking at people who can afford to live in a $500,000 neighborhood. And you say, Tim, how do I know it's a $500,000 neighborhood before I do the analyses? Simple. You take 10 sales in the neighborhood. Where are they coming in? If they're coming in around $500,000, it's a $500,000 neighborhood. That's not difficult. So appraisers have to analyze supply and demand. Most of those data come from the local MLS system, frankly. The MLS system will show you, going as far back as it, it will go, how many sales there have been in a particular neighborhood per year for X many years. Okay, it's perfectly acceptable to project that forward by looking at the trends of what's happened in the past. So if typically 20 houses have sold in the neighborhood per year for the last 15 years, but last year, instead of 20, it was only 16, for whatever reason, that suggests a downward trend, and you would say so. There is still demand for houses in this neighborhood. However, the trend is slightly downward, so there is a risk that prices will drop in this neighborhood over time. But let's face it, there's a risk prices are going to drop in any neighborhood over time for no other reason than neighborhoods have life cycles, which every appraiser already knows. The next component of highest and best use says the appraiser must identify and analyze the effect on use and value of the physical adaptability of the real estate. Now, basically what that means is, is somebody going to buy a house and completely change it? Now, sometimes people buy houses and then redo the interior. Uh, that's a fairly common thing to see on television. Well, is that because it's a TV show or is that because what the market is looking for? If that happened twice in the last six years, then no, it's not a market trend. However, if people are indeed buying houses and then completely renovating them, including redoing the interior or re redemising the interior walls, then that's a market trend and we have to account for that. It's not terribly difficult to get those costs and call up contractors, call up the brokers, etc., and ask them what the buyers spent on the inside of the house once they bought it. However, note that even changing the interior, even moving interior walls, doesn't change the physical adaptability of the real estate. It's still a house. What this is talking about, for example, is changes in land use plans, where, for example, a neighborhood goes from being residentially zoned to commercially zoned. Well, people might keep the houses, but then turn them into private office spaces, say for doctors or attorneys or something like that. That's fairly common, especially in older residential neighborhoods around hospitals. Investors will buy the houses, get the interior, turn it into office space, and then use it as their own offices, and then down the road uh, sell the property as commercial property to another attorney, another doctor, etc., now, what this is saying is, is that going to happen? You say, Tim, I can't predict the future. And you're right. You can't predict the future. Nobody expects you to. But if that hospital is in an area of older homes and that hospital is expanding, maybe it's adding a new cardiac care wing or 
maybe it's getting rid of its neonatal unit to go into geriatrics or something like that. You might find that there is a demand for houses in that neighborhood to be turned into doctor's offices, especially if the zoning will permit it. Frankly, that's a rather complex assignment, and you'd probably want to bring in a state-certified general on that because that highest and best use analysis could get a tad sticky. The last one says, the appraiser in developing a market value opinion must identify and analyze the effect on use and value of market area trends. Obviously, it's fairly simple to say, yes, there were this many sales in the neighborhood last year, and there are currently this many listings, and here's the absorption rate, and here are the days on market, and here are the, here are the houses that were offered for sale and didn't sell, and here's why, and blah, blah, blah. Those are all market trends. Let me make a point here. That comment says an appraiser must avoid making any unsupported assumptions or premises about market area trends, effective age, and remaining life. Let's concentrate on market area trends. The reason I want to concentrate on market area trends is because in Standard Rule 2-3, it starts out, I certify that, to the best of my knowledge and belief, the statements of fact in this report are true and correct. Well, market area trends aren't opinions. They're, they're not your opinion. They're facts. Because you look at the market area trends. You look at the sales data. You look at the listing data. You look at the days on market data. And you say, okay, here's what the trends are telling me. That's a fact. Therefore, when USPAP says it has to be true and correct, what that means is you have to have support for it. And again, the comment says the appraiser must avoid making any unsupported assumptions or premises. Now, as I record this, we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Quite frankly, nobody knows what the market trends are. Nobody has a clue. Because to go back and look at what happened to sales during other past pandemics would probably have us going back to 1918, when there really was a flu pandemic. And data from that far back aren't really going to tell us anything about what's happening in 2020. So we don't know what's happening. Therefore, we have to be very careful about what we put in for market area trends. The best comment to make in a report is probably, client, I don't have a clue and I have no way of getting one. And therefore, client, I've come up with a value opinion, but it's based on old data that probably aren't terribly relevant to what's happening in a pandemic. Therefore, I've got to make the extraordinary assumption that what has happened in the past will continue to happen in the future. Otherwise, I can't give you a value conclusion. That puts the client on notice that there is an extra risk factor in the neighborhood, in the market area, in the subject itself, that typically was not there, and the client is going to have to factor that extra risk factor into its underwriting factors on whether it will make the loan, the interest rate on the loan, how long the loan will uh, be for, whether the lender will keep it in its own portfolio or try to sell it on the secondary market, etc. So to go over that again, the appraiser must identify and analyze the effect on use and value of existing land use regulations, reasonably probable modifications to those land use regulations, economic supply and demand, which is basically the 1004 MC form, the physical adaptability of the real estate and market area trends. Then there's the comment again, an appraiser must avoid making any unsupported assumptions or premises about market area trends, effective age, and remaining life. Then 1-3b says, okay, after you've done A and the five components of A, then B, develop an opinion of the highest best use of the real estate. Typically, this means as improved. Now, then there's the comment. An appraiser must analyze the relevant, pay attention to this. This is the important part. 
An appraiser must analyze the relevant legal, physical, and economic factors to the extent necessary to support the appraiser's highest and best use conclusions. When it says conclusions, sometimes you have to appraise the site as a vacant. Sometimes you don't, but that's what it means by conclusions. Although, again, typically for your basic residential real estate appraisal, you're looking at the highest and best uses improved. Now, the highest and best use criteria as in the 14th edition to the appraisal of real estate, is different than this, frankly. It says the use must be physically possible, legally permissible, financially feasible, and result in the highest value to the property, the greatest profit, or, in incredibly rare cases, the least amount of loss. Then Fannie Mae basically says, okay, what we want to know, we we just want to know if the improvements are the highest and best use of the site. And you prove that by showing the improvements add one net dollar to the value of the underlying site as if it were vacant. So while all three of them have basically the same criteria, they go about supporting those conclusions somewhat differently. And we're looking specifically at the uh, USPAP model of highest and best use. So the key here is it's two parts. The appraiser has to identify and analyze the effect on use and value of those five things we went through. And only then can the appraiser develop an opinion of highest and best use of the real estate. Now, please remember this part. Highest and best use is more than merely standard rule 1-3 A and B. It is also standard rule 2-2 A. 12. And what 2-2A12 says, and by the way, that assumes an appraisal report, not a restricted appraisal report. What standard rule 2-2A12 says is, if appraiser, you indeed, formed an opinion of the property's highest and best use, then in the report, as an integral part of the report, you must summarize the support and the rationale you have for those conclusions or that conclusion. So in other words, you're going to say, my analyses of the market indicated the highest and best use of the subject as improved is in its present improvements period. Here's why, colon. And then you're going to list reason one, reason two, reason three, reason four, reason five. I would suggest to you, you look in the 14th edition of the appraisal of real estate and you talk about the physically possible use or uses, the legal use or uses, the financially feasible use or uses, and then the use, the one use Highest and best use is a superlative. It means there's one. There, there aren't two highest and best uses. There's one use that brings the greatest value, the greatest profit, or in incredibly rare instances, the lowest uh, loss. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is the sentence, the subject's highest and best use is as improved, is a great starting sentence. It's a great ending sentence. But it has no support for the rationale, the logic and the rationale, the reasoning and the rationale behind the conclusion. So you have to summarize those. That's why we just went through these points. Or you may choose to say the existing land use regulation is so-and-so and the subject meets the zoning, therefore that part of highest and best use is met uh, using the same model. Then if you want to concentrate on what Fannie Mae says, basically then you have to come up with the highest and best use of the site as if vacant, which you really should do anyway, because after all, how can you adjust the value of the comparable sites to the subject if you don't know the subject's value as if it were vacant? 
which also means you have to know the value of the comparable sites as if vacant. That's a little bit difficult concept to grasp. Let me say it again. In order to adjust the comparables to the subject, in order to adjust the value of the comparable sites to the value of the subject site, assuming all of them were vacant, you have to know what their values are as if they were vacant. Therefore, you do have to come up with that site value before you can start doing adjustments. Then you support your conclusion that the highest and best use is the present improvements by showing in either the cost approach or the sales comparison approach, or ideally both, that the improvements in their present condition add at least one net dollar value to the value of the underlying subject site as if it were vacant. Once you've done that, you've met Fannie Mae's criteria for highest and best use as improved. Now, this podcast is going to run about 25 to 30 minutes when I get through editing it. There's no way possible that we can go over all of the subtleties of highest and best use in approximately 30 minutes. It's just not going to happen. Therefore, please let me recommend that you pull out the 14th edition of the Appraisal of Real Estate and you read chapter, it's either 11 or 13, I don't have it open in front of me, you read chapter 11 or 13 on highest and best use. Or you pull out appraising residential real estate, and I think in there it's chapter four, but I don't have that open in front of me either. That's on highest and best use. Then you pull out the Fannie Mae selling guide, and you go to the highest and best use section and read it. It's not very long. It's not very explanatory, but at least that way you'll know what Fannie Mae expects as part of your highest and best use analysis when you turn it into the client. And then finally, as I said, if you go to my website, theappraisersadvocate.com, go to the product page, I have there an analysis, a template of highest and best use. And if you buy that, you're free to use it. It's copyrighted material, but I authorize you to use it as a template for your highest and best use summaries that you have to include in your report. Again, highest and best use is more than checking a box. Highest and best use is a series of analyses that you have to go through on every market value report The analyses are fairly straightforward. The analyses are fairly easy to find in textbooks. If you have any question on them, please give me a call. I'll be happy to help. I'm Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate. I'm here to help you. Contact me at tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. My phone number is 561-635-5265. I look forward to helping you. Thank you so much. Be safe. Be well, hug your families, and we're clear.